Say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What a beautiful time of worship, loved ones. So thankful to the Lord for his grace in bringing us back together this week. 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 18. We're going to need a copy of God's Word in front of us tonight, and so if you do not have one, please put up your hand, and our ushers are coming forward right now. Love you, ushers. And uh, they're going to put a copy of God's Word in your lap. And if you do not have a copy of the Bible at home, then take that, please, as a free gift, as our way of encouraging you to continue to study God's Word at home. First Kings chapter 19 verses 1 to 18 and loved ones, welcome back. Welcome back. The school of faith is now back in session. Praise the Lord. Here we are in the final message of our series on Elijah. Elijah, God's presence power, and provision in the life of faith. Now, what is faith? We've been unpacking this over the last five weeks, and it's taken from the, the Bible's uh, definitions of what faith is, Hebrews 11.1, 1, and Romans 4, and Hebrews 11.6, and 2 Corinthians 5, and here's what it all comes down to right here. Faith is choosing to believe God's word. Faith is a spirit-empowered choice. Every day you and I are faced with a choice. Will we believe God's word? Will we believe that he is who he says he is? Or will we choose the path of unbelief? Faith is choosing to believe God's word and obeying it in his power because we cannot on our own. Obeying it in his power, no matter what the situation seems like, no matter what other people are saying, no matter how we even feel in that moment. Remember, loved ones, we should know this by now. Feelings are great followers, but they're horrible leaders. Feelings are great followers, but they are horrible leaders. Faith, choosing to believe God's word, obeying it in his power. Why? Because he will be glorified and promises his best outcome for me. And so over the five weeks of this series, we have seen incredibly... God's power, presence, and provision in many ways through the life of Elijah. At God's command, at God's word, chapter 17, we saw a devastating drought hit Israel. We've seen ravens delivering food to Elijah in the Kareth Brook. We have seen the miraculous provision of oil and flour in the widow's house day after day for many years. We've actually seen the raising of the dead, the widow's son, raised to life by the power of God's word. And then in chapter 18, as we looked at last week, the epic showdown on Mount Carmel, we have seen God send fire from heaven to establish there's only one God. Amen? And he is faithful to his word. And we have seen after that him send a downpour of rain from a little hand in about the, or a little cloud the size of a hand to an epic downpour in response to Elijah's fervent prayers and ultimately to uphold his word that he said he would bring the rain. So we've seen God work in these ways, but we've also seen Elijah. We've seen Elijah trusting in God's word. God said, go, 
Elijah went. God said, do this. Elijah obeyed. And we've seen this again and again. We've seen Elijah in faithful obedience. We've seen Elijah as a fervent prayer warrior. We've seen Elijah standing with courageous clarity and spiritual fortitude in the face of intense opposition. 850 false prophets plus an entire polytheistic nation of Israel and the most ruthless and wicked king in Israel up to that point on top of Mount Carmel. And Elijah stands his ground because he knows his God is faithful. And if, here's the thing. If the story of Elijah, of God's work through the life of this man ends right there, I would be a little bit discouraged in some ways because I'm like, I can't do that. I'm going to run in fear. I get overwhelmed. I, I get discouraged. I, I have enough trouble sharing faith with people in my neighborhood, let alone 850 prophets against me. Like, would you be a little bit discouraged? Like, how do I relate to Elijah? How can we relate to this? But um, when those thoughts of, Lord, could you really use me like that? Like, I'm just a nobody from nowhere. I'm just from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. I wanna, it's really important for us to remember this, loved ones. Elijah was a nobody from nowhere. Remember that? Try to find Tishbe on the map with any accuracy. They think they have an idea of where it says he's from Tishbe, but they don't know exactly where it's from. He was a settler. It says he's of the sojourners. He didn't even have his own nation. He's a guy who wore camel hair and a leather belt and roamed around the desert, this rugged outdoorsman. He's just nobody from, there's no grand genealogy about Elijah. You won't find that in chapter 17 when he's introduced. He's a nobody from nowhere. He has a nature like ours. James 5, 17 says, he's tempted with the same things you and I are. He faces the same struggles you and I do. And what we see all throughout what God, this portrait that God is painting of this narrative is that Elijah is just an ordinary man in the hands of an extraordinary God. Amen? An ordinary man with a nature like ours in the hands of an extraordinary God. And so today though, We've seen the courageous warrior, right? We've seen, we're just gonna follow God's word. We're gonna obey. Today, we see a different side of Elijah. I'm so thankful for chapter 19. No disrespect to Elijah. I'm really thankful for chapter 19. We see a different side of him. We see a man who struggles with unbelief. We see a man who struggles with self-pity. Woe is me. Things didn't work out the way I thought. We see a man who struggles with self-righteousness. I should be better than them. We see a man who struggles with discouragement. We see a man who struggles with hopelessness. And we see a man who struggles with spiritual depression. I'm thankful for chapter 19. And you, you may say this, you may ask the question, after reading chapter 17 and 18, you're like, how could this happen? How could there be such a sudden downfall? What's going on here? And the answer is actually quite simple, loved ones. Um, 
Elijah loses his faith perspective and follows his flesh perspective. There it is. Elijah's perspective gets distorted between 18 and 19. He starts following his flesh perspective instead of living by his faith perspective. What is a faith perspective? You'll see it on the screen. Write it down. Here's the faith perspective. That God is faithful and is always working at all times, in all things, and I will trust him whether or not I see his work or understand it. There's the perspective of faith. God is working at all times and in all things, whether they look like I thought they would or they don't. He is working, and I will trust him whether or not I see his work or understand it. This is why 2 Corinthians 5, 7, this is what it means when he says we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith, the faith perspective, not the flesh perspective. And why is this so important, the theme of chapter 19? Why is this so crucial for us? Because you and I, everyone in this room, everybody watching online right now, faces a major problem. And that problem every day, each moment, is unbelief. The battle of unbelief. Quite simple, we often walk by sight and not by faith. We often walk by sight, not by faith, just like Elijah's doing right here in chapter 19. And the result, we live by our flesh perspective. We base our faith only on what we can see and only on how we feel in that moment. And not on a faith perspective in the situations we face. And the result, like Elijah right here in chapter 19, fear, anxiety, discouragement, distrust. When that fear starts to creep in, it's like, okay, my faith perspective is off. I've had a perspective change. I need to realign by the power of the Holy Spirit and get back to the Lord and my eyes on him. Anxiety, self-pity, self-righteousness, isolation from other believers, believing lies, disillusionment, and hopelessness saying, it is enough, Lord. It's enough. I'm done. Welcome to the life of Elijah in chapter 19. And what we see so clearly in this text, here's the big idea, write this down. This is what the whole thing is going to unpack. Ready? Get your pens out. To stand firm in faith, you must believe God is faithful and always working. There it is. If we're going to stand firm in faith and not be tossed to and fro by the times and seasons and messages that we get from this world, we must believe that God is faithful in that moment and always working in it for his glory and your good as his children. We must live with a faith perspective. And so how do we do this? Well, right here in the text, loved ones, three truths we must believe and increasingly live out in God's power because we cannot on our own if we are to walk by faith, not by sight, and see his glory. You ready to go? Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. First Kings chapter 19. And we're not going to read the whole text today, but we're going to read 1 to 4. Let's go. Elijah flees Jezebel. Let's read it nice and loud. Hey, kids, nice and loud. This is God's word. Love seeing it, parents. Get those Bibles in front of them. Here we go. Verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. 
Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Hear the word of the Lord, all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated, loved ones. You may be seated. First thing we see is this. First truth, ready? To live by faith's perspective... You must trust in God's outcomes and run to him. Trust in God's outcomes and run to him. Here's a wonderful reminder for us today. No matter what you see going on in the world around you and your situations that you're facing right now, God knows what he's doing. I'll say it again. God knows what he's doing. Will you trust his outcome and run to him? Will you trust his outcome when it doesn't look like what you're hoping for and run to him? God knows what he's doing. Let's get our context. Context is key. 871 BC, Elijah and Ahab have just engaged in a showdown on Mount Carmel in front of 850 false prophets and the nation of Israel to ultimately establish once for all who the true God was. Is it Baal or is it Yahweh, the Lord? And there's no doubt. What a mismatch, huh? What a mismatch on that showdown. God has given Elijah a resounding victory over the false prophets of Baal by sending fire from heaven, and in turn, the people of Israel worship Yahweh. They seize the false prophets, and Elijah slaughters them at the brook Kishon in accordance with God's word. And then after that, remember what happens next? God's not done. Elijah goes and prays fervently, that the three-and-a-half-year drought would end, and God sends the rain. The drought is over. Everyone say, that's awesome. Our God is awesome. There is no one like our God. Amen? He is awesome. And so Elijah picks up his garment, right, at the end of chapter 18, and he runs ahead of Ahab to this place called Jezreel. Here, you'll see it on the map. There is Jezreel in the northern part of the kingdom of Israel. Remember, northern kingdom is Israel. Southern kingdom is Judah. Here we are, Jezreel. This is Ahab's winter palace. And Elijah, he's, run, like, he's on a spiritual high right now. He's like, yes. He's confident. He's full of expectancy. He's encouraged. He's full of hope that the nation of Israel would now repent of their idolatry. He's like, yeah, I'm running. That's right. And, and he's filled with hope and expectancy that they would turn back to the Lord and ultimately that God had done through him what hadn't happened through the prophets before him. That's why in verse four, he says his fathers. He's like, God did it. God's done it. But now in chapter 19, uh, did you notice? Did you notice the text? That spiritual high, that adrenaline pumping, quickly fades into a spiritual collapse. First lesson we see right here is 
when we see God move, we are not beyond vulnerability in that moment. Don't take your eyes off him. If anyone thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. God's word says. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Elijah goes from this spiritual high to a spiritual collapse as he gets to Jezreel and he hears Queen Jezebel's response. Remember, she was slaughtering and massacring all the prophets of God. Look at her response again. Go back to the text. It says this, um, verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more like she mad. So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And notice what happens to him. Then he was afraid. Hey kids, would you be afraid? Would you be afraid if someone's like, I'm coming to kill you? I'd be a little afraid too. Right? Good eye contact. We pay attention kids. Love ya. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey further into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. See, upon hearing Jezebel's death threat and seeing her unrepentant heart, Elijah's faith, his hope is dashed. Israel's finally turned. Not so fast. His hope is dashed. And he goes into a faith tailspin. And look at the text. He's filled with what? Not faith. He's filled with fear. He's filled with fear. And he runs as far away. He's not like, okay, I'll just go like one little town over. Notice where he runs. Elijah runs as far away from her all the way to Beersheba. Look at this. Here's the map here. So he goes from Jezreel to Beersheba. Now, do you know, here's the distance, 120 miles. So Elijah's not like, hey, I'll just take a little trek and hide out in my buddy's basement. He's running 120 miles south into this place, Beersheba, which is in the Negev Desert. And I remember walking through the Negev Desert, and this is what it looks like. He's like, I'm getting away from her as far as possible. And, he, and then he, le- notice the text, verse three at the end. He leaves his servant in Beersheba and Elijah's like, I'm keeping going. He goes another day further into the wilderness. By the way, the wilderness, don't miss this. The, the Hebrew for the word wilderness in verse four, you know what it means? Wasteland. Elijah is headed to the wasteland because that's where the path of unbelief will always take you. You lose the faith perspective, you're headed to the wasteland without realignment and repentance. And God is so merciful to bring us back if we would but come. He goes by himself. Notice the text where he sits under a broom tree. Here, this is a broom tree in Israel. He sits under that broom tree, really goes about 10 feet high. They usually grow with long branches, as you can see, so they give shade. And in verse 4, he tells God, notice his cry to God now. He says, I'm finished. Take my life. Because committing suicide in Israel, that 
point was looked down upon in society. So he says, God, take me. I'm done. It's enough. I can't go anymore. See, what we see right here, where the faith perspective, when it gets switched, and we start living by our flesh perspective, Elijah's not throwing a victory party here of what God's just done. He's throwing a pity party. It's so bad, it's over. I can't go on anymore. Why? Because Elijah expected Jezebel to repent and turn to the Lord after the God she worshipped, Baal, got absolutely thrashed by Yahweh and shown that he was absolutely powerless because this God didn't even exist. And when she didn't turn, he became completely discouraged because notice the text, because God's outcome that he ordained didn't look like what Elijah hoped it would. And then instead of humbling himself, putting his trust in and running to God, where does he go? He runs away into the wasteland. He loses his steadfastness. The roller coaster begins. And to today, let's bring it into today. Don't we do the same? Love, don't, let's just be honest before the Lord, ditching the defensiveness. We do the same, don't we? How often are we losing our faith perspective when the situation hits, when the political situation doesn't look like we want it to, when our health situation doesn't look like it, when people don't respond how we had hoped they would? We've seen God's faithfulness time and time again. You say, well, when's God's faithfulness? Well, if you just took a breath, there's God's faithfulness to you. He just gave you it. We've seen God work in our lives again and again and again, And then when God, in his sovereignty, by the way, loved ones, when he allows us to experience an outcome that we didn't hope for or even want, the job isn't gained. Things don't work out how we thought. The kids don't behave. The spouse didn't respond. The health situation didn't improve. That person we've been witnessing to for three years, four years, whatever, hasn't come to faith. There's the ongoing sin issue. The pain is not healed. We, like Elijah, are sent into a spiritual tailspin of discouragement, fear, anxiety, hopelessness, believing lies, unbelief. And instead of trusting God with his outcome, And running to him, what do we do? Just like Elijah right here. We take matters into our own hands and act foolishly. Here's what we need to see from the first part, these first four verses of the text. The path away from God is always the path of despair. The path away from God will always lead to the wasteland. It is the path of foolishness, the path of sinfulness, the path of hopelessness, and ultimately the path of pride as we refuse to humble ourselves under him. Everyone say like, ouch, that hurts a bit. Yeah, for real. Because we're so prone to go down that path. Again and again and again. We take matters into our own hands We act foolishly, sinfully, and we run from him. We lose our faith perspective and embrace our flesh perspective. Hey, here's the key we need to understand in those moments. Right here, ready? Faith's perspective, write it down, is not dependent on the outcome, but on the Lord who's over that outcome. Faith's perspective is not dependent on the outcome that you see. The perspective of faith holds steadfast because it's based on the Lord who's over that outcome. 
whether it's what you hoped for or not. Why? Because the Lord is unchanging. Circumstances change, health changes, you name it. But the, the word of God does not change. The nature of God does not change. The character of God does not change. He's allowing that out of his goodness, out of his love, out of his kindness, out of his sovereignty, out of his wisdom, and out of his authority. And the truth is, you and I would want what God wants for us in that moment if we knew what he knows. faith perspective. It's hard. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to get there, don't we? And stay there. See, God knows what he's doing, loved ones. Great news. God knows what he's doing. Will you trust his outcome and run to him in that situation you're facing right now? What is it? You say, God, I thought things would be different when we got here. I thought this process would look differently. Will you trust his outcome? I thought we'd be able to do more than what we're doing. Will you trust his outcome? and humble yourself under him? Or are you gonna grab that wheel? I'm running, it's gonna lead to the wasteland. It will every time. Loved ones, hear the word of the Lord. Will you trust God's outcome and run to him or run from him? And you may say this, this is so hard. I get it, loved ones, it's hard for me too. I feel so discouraged sometimes. I feel so hopeless. How do we fight this flesh perspective from following that path when circumstance over, from believing the lies? We see right here from the text. Ready? Three ways. Write it down. This is Soul Care 101. Let's go. God's about to do it with Elijah. He's about to do it with us right now. Get your pens ready. Three ways we run to the Lord. Right here. Three things. Number one, we need to remember we need to remember who God is and what he's done. Go to verse three again. It says, he hears the word of Jezebel and Elijah says, then he was afraid. What just happened there? He just stood toe to toe with 850 false prophets. He wasn't afraid when he went to the Kareth Brook or to the widow's house. He has followed. What has happened? See, Elijah's perspective is now distorted, and he failed to remember, ready for this? This is a good word for your heart and mine today too. Elijah failed to remember in this moment that God is greater than Jezebel. Let's say it again, say that with me. God is greater than Jezebel. What he's done and what we do, when that fear of man starts to kick in, loved ones, we've made man really big and God really small. We've made man really big and God really small. This is what Elijah has done here. He's forgotten what God has done. His perspective goes from faith to flesh and inevitably down the path to the wasteland, man becomes big, God becomes small. It is in Elijah's heart, nature like ours, it will in ours too. He went from, notice this, Elijah went from good theology, ready, to bad theology really fast. And so do you and I. And what's the result? Look at the text. Fear. Fear. I can't trust you, God. 
Here's what we got to see right here. This is why sound doctrine, this is why this church is so committed to sound doctrine. In our small groups, in the preaching of God's word, in our discipleship classes coming up, listen, we are so committed to sound doctrine because of this right here. Bad theology leads to bad practice. Bad theology leads to bad practice. You're going down that path without right theology and right practice. And here's the reality that he's forgetting about the nature of God. Jezebel can make all the threats she wants, but God won't be stopped. Jezebel can make all the threats 24-7 as long as she wants. But unless God allows her in his sovereignty to do something, she's not going to do it. And the only way he allows her to do something, if it's best for Elijah and gives God the greatest glory because he's a good, loving, and kind father. God is his shield, and there's only one that brought down heaven's fire. He's forgetting. So question, are you remembering what God has done and that he's greater than your situation? Where are you making men really big and God really small? Hey, students, hey, kids, eyes up here for a moment. Love you so, yeah, come on. Love you so much, guys. You're starting school next week, aren't you? And for some of you, for some of you, that's a new school, isn't it? But I want you, I want you to hear the word of the Lord right now. And if you're feeling a little fearful, what about my friends? You know, on the playground, and, and will anyone like me? And will anyone do, I want you to remember something, kids. Eyes up here. You do not have to be afraid because God is bigger than those people. And he loves you. And he will be with you. You look to him. You call on his name, guys. We're praying for you. We're praying for them, right, church? We're praying for these kids. You betcha. And kids, you remember that. Do not make God smaller than that person in your class. Your identity is in who he says you are, and it's not based on how you perform for that person. Do you understand? Love you and praying for you. Come on. First thing we see here, three ways we run to the Lord. Number one, we remember. We must remember who God is and what he's done. Secondly, we must stay we must stay, what? Grounded in God's word. The outcome looks hopeless. It didn't, it didn't look like I thought. Stay grounded in the word. Anchor yourself to the Lord. Go back to the text, verse three again. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. Notice something about this verse right here that is totally contradictory to the way Elijah has lived up to this point. What's the difference? This was the first time we see Elijah not waiting for God's word to direct him. He takes off. He's not even consulting the Lord. He's not waiting for the instruction from the Lord. He's running. First time. And result, what did he do? Same thing he does for us. He ran from God, not to him. He declared, God, I can't trust you. 
And this is the same declaration our fear always makes if we let it determine the path. Loved ones, here's what we need to see from verse three. Don't go your own way. Don't follow the path to the wasteland. Humble yourself under his mighty hand of the Lord, and at the right time, he'll direct you. He loves you. He'll guide you. And in your waiting, God is working. Never forget that. That's the perspective of faith. Don't rush ahead and act foolishly. Wait for him. Are you abiding in God's word? Are you staying grounded in God's word? To abide means to remain in prayer, in obedience to God's word, in the clinging to God's word every day, loved ones, students, in your discouragement, in your feeling of hopelessness, in your spiritual depression, are you still keeping the conversation going with the Lord in the dark place? When the tears are great and the sighs are heavy and the grief is near, are we keeping it going? Stay grounded, loved ones. John 15, 4-5, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no good place apart from me. Where else are you going to run to? I alone have the words of eternal life. And if you're wondering, like, how do I start to get into God's word? Hey, kids, kids. Love seeing you doing devotions. And so here's the reality. If you need some help knowing where to start, it's a big book, right? You need some help where to start in God's word. Go onto our website. There's a God Time 101 book. It lays down some very simple steps to help you get started. And adults, there's uh, reading plans available on our website. Talk to us as elders. Talk to small group leaders. Talk to people around you. Saying, what do you do to get in God's word every day? There are so many options there but the big thing is get the book open and be still because here's the reality you'll see it on the screen you can't go your own way and still go god's way they are opposed you can't go your you can't grab your steering wheel and expect that you're going to end up god's way you're going to the wasteland every time the place of weariness, dryness, unbelief, lies, and deception, and ultimately hopeless. That's where we're headed. You cannot go your own way and still go God's way. All right, thirdly, we could do a whole sermon on each of those points. Okay, here we go. Three ways we run to the Lord. Number one, we have to remember who God is and what he's done. Secondly, we must stay grounded in God's word. And thirdly, we see right in the text, three and four, we must stay in God's community. Stay in God's community. Do not isolate yourself. Look at three. Look at three. Go back to the text. Then he was afraid, that is Elijah, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Verse four. Notice it says he left his servant there, by the way. He just ditched his only community. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. See, what happens right here is, where does the path of flesh take you? He isolates himself. Elijah isolates himself from the one person that he had with him that feared the Lord and cared for him. He pulled back. And he tells God, verse 4, he's done. Because he starts to believe the lies. He has no one speaking truth in love. He tells him he's done. 
ask God to kill him. And this is so tempting, isn't it, for us today, loved ones? When we're going through the dark place, when we're going through the discouragement, it's so tempting for us to act like Elijah. When the discouragement hits, we want to isolate ourselves and draw away from the community of God. That's our flesh perspective. That's what this world promotes. Your self-made man or woman. Be yourself. Do all these things. No, God's like, I've brought you into community for a reason. Don't forsake meeting together. Why? Proverbs 18.1, and you see it in the life of Elijah right here. Listen to the word of the Lord right here on the screen. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Welcome to Elijah. Is that not the picture? Lord, kill me. It's enough. Total failure. He's breaking out against all sound judgment. Send the text. Reach out with the phone call. Get in community. Do not isolate yourself. God has brought you. Listen, loved ones, yes, the work of God and the spirit of God is individual in our sanctification, but we're called to do it in community. Do not forsake it. I know it's, I know it's easy online to watch services, but you don't get the meeting of the saints You don't get the prayers of the saints, the community of the saints. You don't get the worship and the fervency on your couch near the same as you do together. Don't forsake the community. This is why Hebrews 10 says, stir one another up to love and good deeds so we don't lose that sound judgment and we break out like I know best. Elijah thinks he he doesn't know best. He's in a tailspin. See, Elijah's not thinking straight, and the worst place he could be is alone. Question, are you embracing the community of God? Are you embracing the church? Hey, parents, I want to encourage you guys with something right here. It's always the right decision to bring your kids to the gathering of the church. I know it's a little squirmy sometimes. I get it. I know it can be hard to get them all in a van. We had four kids, four and under. Yeah, sometimes it's still really hard. You know, and you might think people are looking, being like, what's going on with that person, that kid? This is the family of God. Jesus says, let those children come to me. Don't hinder them. You bring those kids. You are loved, guys. Eyes up here. Kids, you are loved. I love seeing you at church. We love seeing you at church. And most importantly, God loves seeing you in his church. You bring them. Are you embracing the church, inviting people? Are we inviting people, intentional community, to speak the truth and love into your life? Or are you sitting on the sidelines, drawing back? I don't need to go to a small group. I don't need to get involved. I don't need to join a service. Are you sitting back? Here's the community God's given. What are you going to do with it? Moment of truth. Moment of truth right here. Look at that screen. Look at those three things. Just get humble before the Lord. Where do you need to repent of your unbelief and run to the Lord? Where are you forgetting who he is? Where are you not grounded in God's word? Where are you pulling back from God's community when God's saying, press in? 
To live by faith's perspective, you must trust God's outcome. And as we run to him, we must, here it is, verse 5 to 8, trust in God's provision. As we trust in God's outcome, we must trust in God's provision and receive from him. Look at verses 5 to 8 and know this. Hey, hey, loved ones, wherever you are right now, you say, you don't know my pain. I may not know your pain, but God does. And here's the truth right here from the text. God is attentive and knows what you need right now. God is very attentive to you. And he knows what you need. Question, will you trust in his provision? Look at five to eight right here. And he lay down, that's Elijah. He slept under a broom tree and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, I love this, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time. This is beautiful. And touched him and said, arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. See, God knows what he needs. He knows the journey that's ahead. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food. Look at this. 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. See, Elijah is physically exhausted. He's emotionally exhausted. And he's spiritually exhausted. And he's vulnerable. And so are you and I. And he collapses under the broom tree. And although he's literally in the middle of nowhere, he's in that wilderness, that wasteland, he's isolated from all people. God sees him. You cannot outrun God's grace. Amen? God sees him and is attentive to him. And then in this beautiful picture of God's grace through his love and care for his for his weary servant. His discouraged prophet. Notice what he does. He doesn't come to Elijah and say, hey man, buck up. Get going. He doesn't rebuke him here, does he? How does he treat Elijah? I love the mercy and gentleness of our God. He sends an angel a messenger, that means, to bring God's word. And he feeds Elijah. He doesn't rebuke him here. He feeds him. He knows what he needs. There'll be time for correction later. But right now, he needs a friend. So I'm going to send an angel. Do you think God could have made the bread and water appear without sending an angel? Yeah. Do you think he could have woken Elijah up without sending an angel? Yeah. Just look at the widow's cupboard. Why did he send an angel? Because he knew he needed companionship. Someone who loved the Lord and could minister God's word and care and provision to him. So you see what God does there in his kindness and his grace right here. By the way, look at this journey before we go on. Keep going, keep going, next slide. Look at this. He goes from Beersheba all the way down to Jabal Musa right there. That's Mount Horeb, that is Mount Sinai. He's running to Mount Sinai, approximately 300 kilometers south of Beersheba. And here's what Mount Sinai looks like. I've been in the Sinai Desert, camelback riding. It's absolutely stunning. Check it out. There it is, Mount Sinai. And that's the top view for when you're at the top of it, that second picture. 
And here, here's Elijah. Elijah has no idea what he needs. He doesn't know the journey that was coming to get down there. But God knows. And in the middle of his spiritual, physical, and emotional exhaustion, his discouragement and distress, God sees his servant, knows exactly what he needs, and he provides it. Look at this picture. I, I um, been so blessed by that. And he says, Elijah, you don't need the rebuke right now. You need some good food. You need a good nap. You need a good word from me. And you need a good companion to love you. A good friend. And this isn't in the text. We're not going to extrapolate scripture. But I just wonder if that angel hung around for a little while and said, Elijah, how you doing? How can I care for you? I know the journey's hard. Keep going. Our God is faithful. It's beautiful, loved ones. It's beautiful. See, God is attentive and knows what you need. Will you trust in his provision? Because here's the truth we need to understand. You'll see it on the screen. God knows better than you what you need, and he's ready to give it. Elijah had no idea of the 300-kilometer journey that was ahead of him down to Mount Sinai. God knew what he needed. But will you receive it? See, notice God had the provision for Elijah, but Elijah still had to trust God's word when he said, arise and eat. Arise and eat, you need this. Elijah was like, no, I'm not gonna touch that. No, arise and eat and receive what God had given. Elijah trusted God's word in this moment. He ate and it nourished him 40 days on a grueling trek to Mount Sinai. How about you right now in your situation? You feel you're passed out under that broom tree. Listen, will you believe that God sees you in your situation? And will you trust his word, cling to it, just like Elijah did right here, and believe that if you are saved in Jesus Christ, God will provide all that's needed for you to follow him into what he has ahead for you by his grace. And you might say, what about inflation? It's too high. What about housing markets? And what about viruses? And what about this health issue? And what about my prodigal children? They're just walking away. And what about all, how am I going to parent my kids? And you may say, this is so hard to receive God's provision because my flesh perspective says I need to do this instead of receiving from him his word, his grace, his presence. I'm so tempted to let that flesh perspective trump the faith perspective. Here's where it starts right here. You know what? I just said, let's just close our eyes for a moment. Kids, close your eyes. Everyone, close your eyes, hands out. Starts with this little prayer right here. I was so blessed by this. I want to share it with you. You can pray this with me right where you're sitting. Lord, you see me. Just start with that. Lord, you see. You know what I'm facing. You know the hurt. You know the darkness the temptation to doubt. And I confess that you see what's ahead and I don't. You know what I will need. God, you know what I will need. Help my unbelief that thinks I'm on my own and thinks I can't trust you. And help me cling to your word in humble obedience 
and trust your provision through it. This starts right there. Simple prayer. Filled with faith. Lord, you know me. You're attentive to me. You saw Elijah. You see me. Let it start there. See, to live by faith's perspective, you must trust God's outcomes and run to him. You must trust God's provision and cling to him. And lastly, right here, we finish with this, loved ones. You must trust in God's process and follow him. Trust in God's process and follow him. See, here's the thing we need to realize. God's ways aren't your ways. God's thoughts aren't your thoughts. His ways aren't your ways or mine. Will you trust he's working when you can't see? Will you trust he's working when you can't see? Look at verses 9 to 10. Go back to this beautiful text. The Lord speaks to Elijah. There Elijah came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, so don't forget, he's on Mount Sinai right now. And behold, the word of the Lord came. There it is. It came to him and he said to him, right here, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, Elijah says. The God of hosts for the people of Israel forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. Hear the discouragement. And I, even I, am only the one left. And they seek my life to take it away. See, Elijah at Mount Sinai is still discouraged. He spends the night, that means lodges, that's what the Hebrew means for lodges in verse 9, in a cave. And God speaks to him and asks right here in this gentle tone, not like, what are you doing? He just says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He says, Elijah, you don't, you don't need to be here. That's what the question is asking. What are you doing here? What, what are you doing here in your self-pity? Don't you remember who I am? What are you doing here in your discouragement? Don't you remember what I've done? Don't you remember I love you? That I'm unchanging? What are you doing here in your hopelessness, running from me? And what are you doing here in your fear? Why did you make man big and me small? What are you doing here? Put your name at the end of that sentence. What are you doing here, Ray? What are you doing? It's not a condemning one. It's a, you don't have to be here. And look what Elijah says in 10, verses 10 and 14. He says, I've been zealous for you, God. Yet Israel has rejected your covenant, that is the Mosaic law with them, and they've killed your prophets, and I'm the only one left, and now they want to kill me. See what Elijah's saying here? I'm here because there's no hope there. I'm here because there's no hope there, God. I have failed. He says, I'm no better than my fathers. I'm a failure. The comparison trap will always lead you to the wasteland, loved ones. Always. I'm here because there's no hope there. Baal worship is still going on. That evil queen hasn't turned. Why are things still this way? I don't see you working now. Why didn't it turn out different? And then verses 11 to 13 God gives Elijah and to us today a much needed object lesson. Ready for the object lesson? About how God works 
and his process in bringing about his plans and purposes. Go back to the text, 11 to 13. Let's go. Kids, eyes on the Bible. Let's go. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Awesome power. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a ready? whisper. The sound of a whisper. And when Elijah heard the whisper, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, there came a voice to him and said, yet again, See, God teaches Elijah through this object lesson. Right here. Let's tune in. There are times when God works through magnificent displays of power. The fire's coming down. There are times when he does that. Fire from heaven, parting of seas, splitting of rock, stopping the sun, drenching the earth. Yet notice what he's teaching Elijah and us today. There are often times when he doesn't work like that. He works in, ready? The whisper. In the seemingly imperceptible ways behind the scenes that you can't see right away how he's at work. You can't see it. That seem quiet and just mundane activities of life. And even though you can't see it, loved ones, what he's trying to teach Elijah, what he's teaching us today, is that you must trust God in the process and follow him in obedience in his power when you can't see it. He's working in the whisper. Knowing that he's working all things for his glory according to his plan and will accomplish his purpose. Here's what God's saying right here to Elijah and to us today. Don't lose heart, Elijah. I am always faithful. I am always working. Even in the whisper work, that's a great term, the whisper work that you don't see. Trust me. And as proof, you say, where's the proof of this whisper work when it comes to knocking out Baal worship? As proof, God rolls out his quiet plan and Elijah's next commission that he's been working. He gives Elijah the next mission. Look at 15 to 18. Here's the plan. Here's the proof. Go back to the text. Heads in. And the Lord said to Elijah, go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. See, God's got a plan, a quiet whisper work plan. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. And yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. See what, Eli- see what God does? He sends Elijah to the Damascus wilderness. Here it is, Google Maps time, Go. 
Do you know how, you know the trip to the Damascus wilderness? It's not like, hey, take an Uber and away you go, Elijah. This is a 143-hour walk over mountains. 143 hours, 705 kilometers from where he is. 705. And he sends him there. He's sending him there. He's unrolling his plan to anoint three people. This is Elijah's next commission. 15 and 16, Hazael, the king of Syria. Jehu's going to be anointed king over Israel. That means Ahab's going to be out. He's like, I've got a plan to get rid of Ahab. And his new mentee. Oh yeah, Elijah, I want you mentoring people. How often do we think we're ill-equipped to mentor, huh? He's like, by the way, I got a mentee for you. Elisha, who would be Israel's next prophet. Now, why does God use this? God shows Elijah that the defeat of Baal worship, check it out, would not ultimately be coming from spectacular displays of power. Notice what he says. Baal worship is going to be defeated through his sovereign, quiet, whispering, behind-the-scenes work of the ordinary political process. through the, what Elijah would and what you and I too often consider the mundane of everyday life. God's like, that's how I'm going to get rid of Baal worship. Of appointing kings and removing them. And the proof that God delivered? Through these three men, the Lord completed the eradication of Baal worship that Elijah had become. And as of 2 Kings 10 verse 28, Baalism... You can look at it right now. Don't take my word for it. Check the text. 2 Kings 10, 28. Baalism had been officially barred and wiped out from Israel. In 1 Kings 22, Ahab's killed in battle, number one. In 2 Kings 9, Jehu kills Jezebel. In 2 Kings 10, Jehu slaughters Ahab's descendants and all of Baal's prophets. And in 2 Kings 10, 28, the text literally says, Baal was wiped out from Israel. Not through parting the Red Sea, but through the normal process of God sovereignly working behind the scenes in the ordinary matters of life. God's saying right here, Elijah, I've got a plan. I'm working in the whisper. Trust me in my process and follow me even if you can't see it. And just to add a little rebuke, now he gives a little rebuke in verse 18. Did you catch it? To Elijah. And to show his whisper work one more time, God tells him in verse 18, oh, by the way, Elijah, one more thing. Um, I know you're, you're believing the lie that you're the only one left, but you're not. I, I, I've protected 7,000 others who are faithful to me in Israel who love me. You were saying? You were saying? You sure you're the only one? But man, we love to believe that lie. That's where isolation takes us. I'm the only one. See, God's ways aren't your ways. Will you trust he's working when you can't see? Today, how, bring it into today in our own lives. Don't reject it. How often do we, like Elijah, believe that if God's in it, if God's in it, then it will be big, loud, and draw a crowd. Now God's in it. Because it's big, because it's loud, and because it draws a crowd. But if we don't see the spectacular, we doubt that he's working. You know, I have the privilege of being part of the great, we have the privilege of being part of the Great Commission Collective. And I talk with other churches in this city. 
And some of the most faithful churches are not flashy churches. They're just holding up God's word, preaching the gospel. Parents are discipling kids day after day. Workers going into the workplaces as men and women of integrity, upholding the word of God. God's working. Now make no mistake, there are some times when God brings down the fire. Amen? Just because a big church is big doesn't mean God's not at work. Let's not get that skewed perspective. He brings down the fire sometimes, yet often he's working through the whisper. The next lesson in Hope Kids, the next worship practice, the setting up of the banner, the next sermon, the next small group, the next discipleship class, he's working in the whisper, his glorious plan. Just through the normal habits, routine, rhythms of life according to his appointed times and seasons and through the faithfulness of his people continuing to abide in him, those quiet times every day, whisper work. Parents, don't be discouraged. You keep opening God's word around the table with your kids. You might not think that they're listening at all. It may seem like a train wreck and your floor is a lot dirty with a lot of food. Keep opening the Bible. There's a whisper work happening. Day after day, week after week, work day after work day, conversation after conversation, quiet time after quiet time, prayer meeting after prayer meeting, service after service, tithe after tithe, ministry serving on one of the teams after ministry serving. Where do you need to repent of your unbelief that just because you can't see it, because it's not big and loud and draw a crowd, you doubt God's whisper work? I confess I've struggled with this over the last two and a half years with this COVID has been such a hard time to lead through. But God was working in a whisper. He's working in the whisper. And be encouraged, loved one. Press on into the Lord. Because the truth is this, as we land this plane, God's greatest work came through his whispering behind the scenes work. When God quietly worked out his plan for salvation by sending his son Jesus Christ to come and die and pay the penalty for our sin that we may receive forgiveness of sin and have new life in him. You say, what do you mean by that? Jesus had a very quiet birth, a little humble birth. He didn't come in a grand palace, did he? He was in a stable. He was in a feeding trough. Just a quiet little birth. How about this? He had a humble, quiet life. Hey, question. How much do you and I know about Jesus' first 30 years of life? God's working in the whisper. Bench after bench after bench, as Jesus is the carpenter. Whisper work. Getting ready to Messiah through the normal affairs of life. He had a humble death, didn't he? He was convicted as a mere criminal and crucified. If you looked at Jesus' life without the gospel, you'd say, that guy's an utter failure. Just a quiet work. A whisper work. For the salvation of man. And yet through him, God offers a greater victory than defeating Baal. He has defeated sin. And he offers forgiveness of sin and eternal life to all who repent of their sin. Turn from him and follow him as Lord and Savior. Because if not, we're going to the wasteland. And ultimately, the path of unbelief in Jesus leads to hell. But Jesus says, come. I'm at work. I love you. I give my life for you. 
Do not harden your heart to me. See, last quote, Jesus is the foundation of our faith. He's the author of it. He's the perfecter of it. He lived this way perfectly, walking by faith, not by sight, trusting in God's outcomes, trusting in God's provision, and trusting in God's process. There's the life of Jesus right there. And he's the foundation, author, and perfecter. Will you and I believe in him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are faithful and true. You are the only Messiah. But Lord, we confess that so often we live by our flesh perspective and not our faith perspective. Oh Lord, help our unbelief. Let us run to you. Let us receive from you. And let us follow you in your power for your glory. That God, whoever's feeling in this room right now weary or discouraged or maybe feeling doubtful or hopeless, they would return to you, not isolating themselves, but clinging to your word, staying grounded, remembering who you are and be refreshed, just like Elijah was right here. Through your word, through your presence, and through your provision. And Lord, as we sing, I pray we would respond in great faith, these would not just be words on a screen. We would truly believe that you are the way maker. You are the light in the darkness. And we, even when we can't see it, you're working. Give us that perspective, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Loved ones, will you stand and respond? And let's cry out to the Lord together. Let's go.